You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. So as we start, before we really dive in, the word of the Lord to you. Samson, he prayed. He prayed to the Lord, O sovereign God, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just once more. So we're in this series called Chained. We're trying to break some stuff that has power over our lives. And this morning we've got the heavy topic of addiction. But I think what we can do is not solve the addiction crisis. But I think we can speak into it and hopefully strike up a larger conversation for us as individuals and collectively as a church. And let me tell you a story. When I pastored back home in Harlan, pastored there for going on about eight years, met some beautiful people, salt of the earth people, if you will. We had those monthly potluck dinners, you know what I'm talking about? Really good food, just beautiful people. And I would do a lot of pastoral care. We had a couple of widows, um, actually an older lady, and she lived as the caretaker with her mom. And I would go by every Sunday afternoon and build into their lives because they were only able to come to church maybe once or twice a month, maybe three times every six to eight weeks, something like that. So I'd go do a little pastoral care, just love on them, and I would take them communion every single week. So we hang out for a while. And one Sunday, this daughter, who's still up in age, she says, I want you to do something for me. I want you to pray about something. Then I want you to come back next week ready to answer questions that I have. I'm like, okay, sure, what do you want to talk about? She says, well, I want you to tell me about Melchizedek. Now, by a show of hands, how many have heard the name Melchizedek? Yeah, what, about a quarter of us, something like that? I get that, and no shame in that. I mean, if you haven't read Genesis ever or recently, if you haven't read the book of Hebrews ever or recently, you probably haven't read much about this biblical character named Melchizedek. He's kind of scarce, if you will. So I'm thinking, Okay, it's an odd request, but I go back, I reread Genesis, I reread through Hebrews and do some research in my commentaries and historical notes. I'm like, who is this guy and how can I field these questions? So I pray it up and I go back a week later, meet with the guy, we go through the formalities, you know, building into it, all that pastoral care, stuff like that. And then she asks the question, and I kid you not, we were there probably an hour and a half talking about Melchizedek. So at the end of it, I'm thinking, what just happened? And I kid you not, this fundamentally changed my understanding of ministry. So we talked for a while, and she sums up our conversation by saying, thank you so much for sharing what you did. These are her words. Thank you so much. That helps a lot. And then she said this. Now I can move forward. And I'm thinking, here is a lady who's in the elderly stage of life. She's got her mom with her. She's the caretaker. And she's able to move forward in her life because of a scarce biblical character. What's up with that? So over some time, I think about it, kind of process it, take notes on what I experienced, journal it, pray over it, think what has happened here. And I think I finally understand exactly what took place. Now, I'm not sure on the specific details that she needed to work through and move forward with, but I do know that the Word of God is able to help us 
on a very deep and personal level. So here's what I think happened. Jesus comes on the scene sometimes and he says this. He says, it's out of the heart, this inner part of who you are and who I am. It's out of the heart that come evil thoughts. Comes from deep within us. Or murder, behaviors, the action of murdering begins in the heart, the deep part of who we are. Unfaithfulness in marriage to any degree starts in the heart. Vulgar deeds, stealing comes from the heart. Telling lies and insulting other people, it starts in the heart. So what happened with this woman who's now unable to move forward because of this biblical character called Melchizedek? Hebrews chapter 4. The word of God, and sometimes if you lived way back when, was oral through one of the prophets or through one of the apostles. But the word of God now to us is what we would call the Holy Bible. This word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword and it penetrates. It divides soul and spirit, bone, joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. In other words, this book we call the Holy Bible speaks deeply to who we are. Maybe in contemporary language, you would hear someone say, this story speaks to our story. Or the story of who you are, the story of who I am. We're allowed to step into this biblical narrative and find ourselves in the lives of the characters and what God is doing in their lives and how he can do that for you and for me, even if it's with a guy like Melchizedek. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to try to create a conversation, you know, strike up a conversation about addiction. And we're going to do so by stepping into the story of a guy named Samson. Samson. So if you want to follow along and get out your smart device or your Bible, we're going to be in Judges. We're going to be in Judges 14, 15, and 16, but the story actually starts in chapter 13 and moves its way on into chapter 17. We won't look at all the details, but we're going to zone in on those three chapters, and we're going to ask ourselves, what are the patterns that we see playing out in Samson's life that actually keep him from moving forward? And there are, are there similarities with that pattern that relay to addiction? Fair? Okay, so we jump in. Chapter 14. Now Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and his mother, and I'm curious how many of you guys said this about the gal you're here with this morning. He said to his father and his mother, I've seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. You feel that strongly about the gal you're with? Okay, all right. So he went back to marry her, and he turned aside. I know this is weird, but we're going to put some context to it. Turned to the side, and he looked at the lion's carcass. And in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands, and he ate as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now hold on this screen for just a few moments. So addiction. I'm thinking, what, how do I speak into that? Because I have to tell you, being involved in ministry for 20 years, I have seen addiction in some very violent forms just shake up someone's life and the lives of those who really love that individual. And if we could speak into this, I bet as individuals, 
we can learn together because for you, you don't have what would be called a hardcore addiction. It's something a little more soft and tame for you. But collectively, if we could poll, and we won't because we're not going to embarrass anyone, if collectively we could poll this church, I bet in-house this morning, there are some hardcore addictions in our lives. So what do we do with that? And how do we define addiction? How do we put parameters on it? What precedes it? What follows from it? What is recovery all about? And I'm thinking, I don't know if I can really address all of those answers. But I can't allow this story to intersect with our stories. So if you look at me, what do you you think would be one of my addictions? I mean, you know this. Coffee or Starbucks, hands down, you got it. And I heard someone say one time, and it actually really resonated with me. A cup of coffee is more than just a cup of coffee. And if you're a coffee drinker, you know, it really doesn't quench the thirst, right? If you're parched, you don't go get a cup of coffee. It's something else. And that cup, uh, hopefully it's a venti or a large or 24 ounce. It's less about coffee sometimes. And I heard this one person say, it's more like a little friend. It's a little friend who's there by your side, gets you through the day. The day's going, you know, not the way you planned. It's a rough week. But you got this thing in your hand, and you see people carrying it around. I bet there's a handful of you have a cup right now. Because it's more than the coffee. It's some kind of comfort. It's something else for you that helps you move forward, if you will. So this guy's Samson. He was supposed to be a Nazarite. Actually, an angel came to his mom and dad before he was born as he was a little baby and said, hey, he's going to be set apart as a Nazarite for the Lord. And you may have a Bible that has study notes in it. It probably has this around chapter 13, the first few verses there. A Nazarite vow could have been temporary, but it could have been lifelong, probably in the case of Samson, a lifelong vow where you are totally set apart for God's work, Nazarite vow. Here's a good way to remember it. What was a Nazarite? No bick, no booze, no body. In other words, no bick. You couldn't shave. If you were a Nazarite, you didn't shave at all, anything on your body. No booze. You couldn't have any alcoholic beverage. Totally set apart. And also, and this is where the lion's carcass is so important, you were not to have any contact with any type of dead body. It defiled you. You were no longer set apart. So when Samson goes on his way after falling in love with this gal from Timnah, he's got this great amount of power from God. That's his connection. As strong as you see Samson in in his story, that strength comes from God. And he finds this line and it actually rips its mouth apart and leaves it for dead. Sometime later, he goes by. Some bees have set up shop. He grabs some honey and he eats it. He's come in contact with a dead body. He's defiled this. You know what's happening here? There's dishonesty. Because he gives his parents some and he doesn't tell them where it came from. So when I was thinking about addiction and what it really means, I called a couple of my mentors, had a few phone calls with some other people and was like, hey, what should I not miss here? If I'm talking about addiction, I've got 30 minutes, 35 tops. Not going to solve the issue. But how do I not sell this short and really get to the heart of the matter? 
So I drive about an hour and a half away, meet with another contact. We spend a couple of hours together, and this guy just answers, fields any question that I have, tells me the ins and outs of addiction. He's working with some guys who have substance abuse issues. And this guy just gives me some great info, and he's talking all about the idea, the ins and outs of addiction. And you know what he says? It starts with dishonesty. And that's the very first thing we see happening with Samson. He's dishonest. What else you see happening in this? When he brings the honey and he gives it to his parents, and Matt Manley referred to this too. This guy's name was Matt Manley that I met with. He said, what happens when you have full-blown addiction is that you start harming yourself and you bring others along with you. We see both of those things happening in Samson's life. He's dishonest. And now this dishonesty is beginning not only to affect his own life, but the lives of others. You know, dare I say that that's happening now, maybe with some of you. You know exactly what I'm talking about. The deception is there. And you've realized, but you've ignored it. You've shrugged it off. It's been no big deal to you. But what's going on behind closed doors? It's not just affecting you. It's affecting other people. Let's call attention to that. Let's call attention to that this morning. So I was talking with this guy, Matt, and he gave me some really good info about definitions. And here's a few that I came up with, uh, just with some research. And then I want to share the one that he gave uh, to me. And it is just beautiful. I think it really captures the essence. So addiction turns you into a new man. And the first thing the new man wants is more. Some of you can relate to that. The uh, Next definition. Addiction is short-term pleasure and long-term consequence. Maybe some of us are hanging out here currently. We understand exactly what this means. But then Matt Manley, he said, here's the essence of addiction. Addiction is giving up everything for one thing. And when you will not give up the one thing for everything. An angel came to the parents of this guy, Samson, and says, here's the blessing on your child. And for some reason, Samson says, I'm going a different direction. So when you think about addiction, maybe it's not hardcore for you, but you're not off the hook because there was a time when you used the word addiction and everyone automatically thought dependency upon drugs of some sort. But now we've moved on to include in the definition of addiction, disease, because the brain actually changes structure when you have a full-blown addiction. And no longer is it just about drugs. Now we can include some other things like, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to reveal this to anyone, things like shopping or sleeping, kid you not, things like sex pornography, things like Netflix and TV, things like gaming, and then the smartphone. Have you ever found yourself just flipping, scrolling? You know there's no new updates on Facebook because you just checked it 45 seconds ago. But here you are again because there's that addictive quality. And if you would actually take one step back in your life and consider what's going on when you're engaging in those activities, 
there probably is some self-harm. And if you are really open and honest, there's probably some harm to other people. Even though it's not scooping honey out of a lion's carcass, you're bringing some other people along on this addictive journey. So I saw this happen. If you don't mind, can I pause and go over here for just a moment? I actually have a little soapbox right here. Can you see it? You mind if I step up on it? Is that okay? Just for a moment, just for a moment. I saw this really clearly once. I was actually a student at Johnson Bible College, now Johnson University. And three times a week we had chapel. Tuesday, Thursday mornings we met in the gymnasium. About 800 students got together. On Wednesday, which was optional because you could go to chapel at the college or you could go off-site to a church and attend one of their studies. We would have chapel, and often the seniors would speak on Wednesday night chapel. And it was a little more formal. It was their opportunity to put into practice all that they had learned over the past four years. So we had one senior get up, and for the first three to five minutes of his sermon, he did nothing but apologize to the student body. That's all he did. He said, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, he said, here I am before you, and I'm a senior. And all I've wanted more than anything was to stand before you and show off my skills. He said, I wanted to preach And I wanted you all to applaud. I wanted to say things. And I wanted you all to think how smart I am. I wanted you to look up to me. And he said, before I started preaching this morning, though, I've been in prayer for about an hour, hour and a half. Again, paraphrasing his words. And he said, I'm sorry about that. Because that is not what the word of God is for. The word of God Its relevance is to reveal to you and I the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And he spent about three to five minutes saying, I have this addiction to spiritual superiority where I want people to look to me. I want to look smart. I want to look like I'm farther down the road. I want to be a leader. I want to be known. I want people to know my name and know what I'm about. That plays off, plays out a little more frequently than we would like to admit. And that is not what the Word of God is about in any shape or form. We had a great conversation about this, something similar to this in one of our Wednesday studies somewhat recently, where we were talking about how the Word of God is not magical. It's not magical. It's not some book that you open And you read a few verses and you try to take those and twist or shape or spin them so that God will make your dreams come true. It's not about you and me. The story is to reveal to us Jesus Christ and that's its relevance. That's where we step into the story. It's not magical, but it's powerful. So those deep thoughts that you have, like the lady that I met with, and it's regardless of age or race or gender, we have those deep needs or convictions or thoughts or concerns or regrets or worries or fears. And then the word of God is able to come along and judge those in a way that speaks to us, makes sense, allows us to step into this God-ordained story, whether it's Melchizedek or whether it's Samson. 
And it makes sense to us because it's not magical, but it is powerful. We want you reading your Bible every single day. But it doesn't matter if you read it in the morning, afternoon, or evening. It's not magical, but it's powerful. So we've actually created a class, and some of our guys are leading it and doing a great job. Every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., room 111, we've got a time set aside to where you can come and learn how to engage and embrace the Word of God and to read it correctly, to allow it to speak to you correctly and not make it this magical book where you've got to read it a certain way or at a certain time in order for it to work. But you can read it as what it is, the inspired word of God that is filled with power to introduce you to the man Jesus Christ, the one that can save you, the one that can rescue you from your addictions. Jesus actually was very adamant about this, and he warned and he called attention to this kind of fuzzy thinking. Here's what he says in John chapter 5. John chapter 5, this is Jesus talking. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are actually the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me and have life. So, stepping off of the soapbox, okay, back into the flow of the sermon. It's not about us. And we can be addicted to ourselves. So the story goes on. Judges chapter 15. So Samson led Israel. You know, he's got this idea with a carcass, fell in love with that gal from Timnah and all that. Go back and read this story. I mean, it's really, it's kind of weird. I mean, you read some of the Bible and you're like, what did I just read? Story's kind of weird. So there's this tug and pull, you know, it's play out with Samson. He's supposed to take over the Philistines and stuff like that. And it kind of happens. So Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Notice this language. One day, one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. And he went in to spend the night with her. I think with the author of Judges, I think the author captures exactly what he wants to capture in retelling this story. There was a day when Samson was leading Israel, and he'd been the leader for about 20 years. And if I'm being really honest, I could see the author saying, if I'm being really honest, it wasn't all beautiful stuff from Samson. He actually, one day, he went and saw a prostitute. I bet that's not the same way Samson would put it, though. I bet if Samson was retelling this story, there would be a lot more vivid detail, don't you? I don't think this is random. Samson could be in transition here. I mean, how many of you have been in your career for 20 years? You do something for 20 years, whether it's a job or a marriage, sometimes it has a little wear and tear with it. And he's saying, am I doing just spinning my wheels? Are we still here? I need some kind of change. I just don't feel this way any longer, you know, the way we used to feel. So much has changed. He could be in transition, and transitions can be tough. They can be filled with confusion and fear. So this is intentional. It's not just haphazard. This is intentional by Samson. 
And let's call it out so that we can really experience the power of Jesus Christ in our life, not by a show of hands or anything, but I would assume in a crowd this size, we've got a few people here. You're already plotting. As soon as you push the doors open to this building, you know how the addiction's going to attack you, and you're ready to roll with it. When Netflix was first getting its start, uh, maybe a couple years into it, I discovered this show on TBS called The Office. Anybody else fans of The Office? I'm so hooked. I still re-watch the series. I'll go through all nine seasons, wait a few weeks, maybe a month or so, run it again. I just love the show. When I first discovered the show, it took over, not to make light of addictions, but that's all I could think about. The comedy, the unique twists that they had, I loved it. I was currently leading the church back home, and we had these Wednesday night Bible studies. Beautiful time. We'd have about 20 people just thirsty for a deeper understanding of the Word of God. And we had to open it up and just tear into it. It was a beautiful, beautiful time. So I'm in this season of just becoming acquainted with the office. And I remember standing up in front of this class once and saying, do you all know the office? And they're kind of a little bit of an age to them. They're like, no, 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 we, we, we don't know. And one guy's like, yeah, I've seen it, but it's stupid. And I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, we're not connecting or whatever. But I'm like, well, here's how I feel about it. I love the show. And after that, I'm being really honest. I can't wait to leave here and go watch it again. Yeah, they didn't think that was funny either. They didn't either. So I'm thinking, I can't wait to teach you and then leave and go watch the show. In other words, here's what I'm telling you. I could see myself watching the show. I could see myself getting the TV ready because I told Michelle, hey, this Netflix deal, we got to have it because I got to catch up on this series. I love it. I could see it playing out. Not to be weird, but you maybe could say I could taste it. I could feel it. And let's be honest, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about in this moment right here. You know what you're addicted to, and you can taste it, and you can feel it, and you can see it playing out in your life right after service or later today. You know what I'm talking about. So when is it most difficult for you to resist an impulse? I'm sure we would all agree that addictions are bad. They cause harm to ourselves, and we can bring others along in this, along this destructive journey. But when do you find it most difficult to resist an impulse? We know addictions are bad, but I've found there's probably three areas or three settings when people are more prone to say, you know what, I'm going to indulge this impulse. The first one is when they're bored. Did you catch that article? It was several years ago. But some teenagers, I think they were still teenagers, young adults, they got busted for murder. And during the interrogation, it came out, do you know the reason that they actually killed this other person? And I'm quoting one of the guys now. He said, we were bored. We were bored. So what about you? That one thing that you can't give up, does that play out a lot when you're bored? Or what about when you're not bored, but you're alone? And maybe literally and figuratively. You're at home a half hour before your spouse, so nobody's going to know. So you. Or maybe you've got a great family set up, great friends, great career. Things are just great on the outside. 
but your perception of your reality, your life, you're alone. So any chance you get to self-medicate, you take full advantage of it. I've heard this a lot too. Didn't want to use the word depressed because of clinical depression. It's a really strong term. But what about when you're down? The day, the week, the month. It's been a crazy year, to be honest. I'm just not feeling it like I once did. When you're down, does that addiction, does it start to arise? You want to act upon it? How is that playing out? So one day, Samson went to see a prostitute. One day. Well, the story goes on. He actually goes on, chapter 16. Sometime later, we see this evolution with Samson's addiction. He fell in love with a woman in the valley. And yes, that's the third one. He fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Now, we can go to the next screen. Hold on there for just a moment. Samson's power, as we said, comes in his hair. God said, okay, as a sign that I'm giving you this power, it's going to be in your hair. Never cut it. Never shave. No bick, right? So always keep your hair. So this gal, Delilah, gets in close with Samson. And the Philistines come to Delilah and they're like, hey, um, we're going to take care of you. You'll never have to worry about anything else. Penthouse, great salary, whatever you want. We'll fly you at anywhere you want a couple times a year, just smooth sailing. All we want to know is where's the source of Samson's strength. So she does this little bartering with him where she'll say, hey, Samson, tell me, if you love me, if I'm your gal, what's the secret to your strength? And he's toying with her and he says stuff like, well, tie my hair in a certain kind of ponytail, wrap it up a certain way, or use fresh ropes, don't use old ropes or anything like that. And every time Delilah comes back and says, hey, Samson, she does whatever he says, the Philistines are, on you, are coming up on you. Samson wakes up and he's like, where are they? And it takes them out or if they're not really there, however the sto- that particular story goes. And you see that give and take. Well, Delilah kind of wears Samson down. And the last time she comes and she says, basically, hey, come on. If we're really in this, we're really two becoming one flesh, what's the secret? So he tells her, I can never have my head shaved. My hair cannot be cut. So he falls asleep, and while he's asleep, she cuts his hair, and he loses his strength. So Deliah called and said, hey, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep, and he thought, here we go again. I'll just go out as before, and I'll shake myself free. But he didn't know that the Lord had left him. So when I was talking with Matt Manley, he said something I thought was really interesting. Even though addiction can be classified as a disease, and it changes the structure and the layout of the brain, you and I are still responsible for that. He actually said that addiction, it's an inside job, and so is recovery. And what happens is we willingly give away our God-given power to overcome addiction. Just like literally, Samson gave away his God-given power. I mean, how could you rephrase this? It's not hurting anyone. I'll just, one more time. All my friends 
It's never been a problem yet. We're in the past. What's the big deal? It's not that big of a concern. There was a study of over 600,000, 600,000 people who experienced bypass surgery. 600,000. And they were polled. They were part of this unique study. They chose not to, and you're going to tell your buddy, whoever's next to you, you're going to tell them what percentage in just a moment. 600,000 had bypass surgery. What percentage of them chose to not make any changes in lifestyle when it came, when it came to eating habits, exercise, or the pace of their life? What percentage of the 600,000? Tell your neighbor. 90. 90% chose not to make any adjustments to their lifestyle. In other words, they were giving away their God-given power to make changes in their lives. Some of you know Henry Cloud. You've read his book, Boundaries or Changes That Heal. Henry Cloud says, you and I are not always responsible for what happens to us. And I would assume that there are some addictions circulating in our lives that are rooted in some stuff that's happened to us. And it's caused some deep emotional or mental, maybe even physical pain. And it's scarred us. We're not always responsible for what happens to us, but we are fully, 100% responsible for what we do with what has happened to us. I'll just... So where are you with this addiction issue? I don't have to answer out loud, but if you were to be fully honest with me, where are you? Are you in that stage of dishonesty or denial? Do you recognize the harm that's coming your way or how you're bringing others along with you? When you read the story of Samson, you see this really odd thing happening. He makes some very unwise decisions. He sets himself up for failure time and time again. He's a broken man. You could even say he's a sinful man, the way he does certain things. But when you get finished with the story, you see that God is still working and wanting to be at work in the life of Samson. It's a really beautiful thing. I mean, any of you know Bob Russell? Some time ago, he wrote a, an open letter to a certain individual, a very public figure. And this public figure was in a state of transition in his life. And Russell wrote an open letter to this guy. And the way he ends this letter, he's actually calling him out, but at the same time offering comfort and encouragement to this individual. But the way he ends his letter is beautiful. And I'm just curious if you need reminded of this. If you leave here this morning without making any decision, I'm concerned that life is just going to lead you away from this moment. But I'm also convinced that despite your poor choices or however deeply you're wrapped up in addiction this morning, that God could have created this moment for you, for you to be open and honest first and foremost with yourself and then with him and maybe a few other people. So I want to remind you of some basics of Christianity. Then so you, so you shall 
show you something really interesting in the life of Samson. So instead of me saying to this individual, when I say the word T-O-2, I want you to insert your name and listen to how Russell ends this letter. To you, like all of us, you're a child of God, but you live in a carnal body and it's plagued with daily temptations and harmful desires. But God loves you. He loves you and he loves me in spite of our sins and in spite of our weaknesses. And he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die and cleanse us of all of our sins and to grant us a new heart and a new destiny. Some of you have been around church for a while. You've been around the Bible. You know your way around the Old and New Testament. You know we have this section of Scripture we call, not the Hall of Fame, but we call it the Hall of Faith. And it's actually in the book of Hebrews. I'm not going to read it to you. I just want you to see it. Because this author of Hebrews, he's recounting all the big dogs who did some really good stuff in the Old Testament era and how they took the time to move God's purposes forward, how they were used by God to really carry on the covenant and to usher in Jesus Christ. And when you read the story of Samson in Judges, you get the impression that this is a messed up guy. Then you're reading through Hebrews and this author's calling out all these famous names. And right there, one stands out. God can come alongside of you right now in this moment he's created and he can rescue you from your addictions. And that's the beauty of our Savior. For someone to rescue you, you need a Savior who is both willing and capable of doing so. And that is Jesus. The cross is evident that he is both willing and capable to meet you right where you are and provide rescue. What we're going to do over the next few moments is we're going to have a different feel to our worship just for the very next song. It's not a special. It's more of a theme. It's more of an intentional time for you to be open and honest with yourself and with your God. This is a time for you to reflect, reflect on your addictive tendencies what's a little tame or what's full-blown. It's a time for you to say, Jesus, I do believe in you. And I believe that you're both willing and capable to rescue me. Let's pray it up. Father, we thank you for loving us despite our sin, despite our weaknesses, and through Christ calling us into a renewed, restored life We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus. We thank you for offering to rescue us from things that destroy us. We thank you that you are willing and that you are able. And we praise you now. Meet us, Father, in this moment. Amen.